Okay, we're in Screen Heat Miami. Screen Heat. Yes, we're rolling hot and fast. This is yet another episode. How many we got so far in the case? This is not, this will be nine. Number nine. Nine is a good number. That's a good number. I like it. Yes, yes, yes. So, the heat of the Emmys. Yeah, that was very hot this weekend. We had the Primetime Emmy Awards, and we had a bunch of winners and a bunch of folks that didn't quite make it, but it was uh, exciting nonetheless. And, of course, the big winner got... Got. Game of Thrones. Yes. Won the best drama for the fourth time. Fourth. Big four. Fourth and last. Yeah. There will be no more. Unle- well, there will be prequels. Prequels and... Spinoffs and... Yeah. Reboots. <laughs> Game of Thrones <laughs> all over the place. Yes. I don't think we've seen the last of the, the GOT universe. Let's just put it that way. The dragon didn't die. That's true. I don't know where he went. That dragon is still flying around. That's a big mystery. <laughs> he just he just took off, melted the throne, and said, peace. Let's ask Adrian Wooten. Maybe he knows. Maybe they're hiding somewhere in, in Northern Ireland. I'm heading to London in two weeks. There you go. Maybe you could take a little side trip and try so to find that find dragon. find the dragon. <laughs> Maybe it's in Wales. That's where yeah, the dragons are. Yeah. 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 So I'm told. So, so we're I'm told. told. Fleabag, also a big winner. Fleabag. I love that show. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Adrian Wooten spoke about that. He did speak about Paul Brett. So Mm -hmm. you have to listen to episode one and episode two. That's right. Go back and revisit our original two podcasts. Paul Brett had a lot of great things to say about Fleabag. Oh, yeah. I watched that because of him, and I'm glad I did. There you go. Listeners, you should watch it. Definitely should. Also in the Amazon family, Mrs. Maisel. Winning some big awards. You know about Mrs. Maisel. I love Mrs. Maisel. Yes. It's a great little show. It's shot here. It did season three, which is coming up, I think, in December again. They're going to release season three. Uh, there was one or two episodes set here in Miami. Miami yeah. Beach. Faina. Faina House. Shout out to Brian Forty. That's right. Who Good runs on. the theater there. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Gorgeous theater. It is. Beautiful. Yes. Go check it out. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, a couple of locations here in Miami Beach. Very excited about that. And uh, what else won? We got a shout out. Jarrell Jerome. Jerome Light alum. Oh, yes. One for When They See Us. When They See Us. When They See Us won quite a bit. It did also. Yeah, that was another big winner. Ava DuVernay. Yeah. Killing it. But I have to give it up for Jarrell because he is the only actor out of the five main actors that played the older version and the younger version of himself. There you go. Double duty. He killed it on both. Oh, love it. No wonder he won. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he and he two- killed it in Moonlight. He was great in Moonlight, too, yeah. Yeah. So mm. we got to give it up. Shout out to Barry Jenkins. Shout out to Barry. Shout out to Terrell. Terrell Alva McCraney. The fam. <laughs> <laughs> Their alums are moving. They're making it happen. So yes. that is that is all very exciting. And so did we mention who our guest was today? I don't think we did. We didn't. We, we went in too hard. We went we in went too, in too hot. hard. We got too distracted. We went in too hot. Yes, we got too distracted by the hardware of the Emmys. But uh, yes, our guest today is a an award-winning, award-nominated writer, screenwriter, television writer, based in Los Angeles, Mr. Ethan Banville. Ethan. Yeah. He's, wor- he's written on some pretty big things. He has. Yeah, he's done a ton for Nickelodeon. He's worked- Drake and Josh. Jake, yeah, yeah. Drake and Josh. iCarly. iCarly. Yeah, a bunch of great credits. So it'd be great to jump into that conversation with him, which uh, Kevin conducted at the last Miami Media and Film Market. Yeah. 
Writing is where it starts. That's where it starts. Yes. Put the pen to paper, or I guess. All of these started off with writing. Click to the key. Let's start off with who helped us to start off, our sponsors. That's right. As usual, the Screen Heat Miami podcast is brought to you by Kajik Multimedia. Chemical. The Miami Media and Film Market. And Cinevision. Oh, yeah. Burning. We're burning. So, so yeah, that was uh, very, very interesting Emmys this year. A lot of big winners. A lot of the streamers really holding their own against the what was once the monolithic HBO. Yeah, but HBO is going streaming. They are. They're going max. I mean, essentially, they were the streamers before the streamers. Yeah, I mean, they're streaming, too. They have HBO Go. Yeah, so. HBO Now, HBO Go. There's also... I'll t- pull it up on my phone and oh. stream it to my TV. Oh, yeah. yeah Even yeah. though I have the... The regular cable. And what's uh, what's the new one? The big Warner Brothers one. It's uh, Max. HBO Max. That's going to be the one. Yeah. Oof. Yep. Man, it's getting good. But HBO made a comeback. Oh, yeah. They were not down for the count. Chernobyl one. Yes. Limited series. Uh, Karen Hall. One of her faves. That was our third. She oh, yeah. is the one that suggested Chernobyl to me. I mm. watched it. Mm. Pleasantly surprised. No, I wasn't surprised. I was elated. Let's say <laughs> pleasantly elated. Yes. Yeah. Chernobyl, big winner. Barry, which is another HBO. Right. Big winner. Um, Peter Dinklage. Oh, yes. Fourth time. Oh, Tyrion. Four time <laughs> winner for the best supporting actor role for, for Game of Thrones. So congratulations to Peter. Very talented actor. Very. You know what he pulled a cameo in? This is going to sound ridiculous. I just saw it this weekend uh, on Friday. Uh, you know, Between Two Ferns is now a Netflix movie. Yeah. Yeah. Did you see the movie? He's in it. <laughs> oh, wow. He's hilarious. Well, so what did you think of the movie? <sighs> it's like if you were to it's just hard. loosely string together a plot around... 10 interesting celebrity interviews uh-huh. and uh, it, Will Ferrell was funny. I mean, it had funny moments. It was funny. Yeah, for if you get a bunch of funny people, you're going to get some funny stuff. Yeah, yeah, it was. Is it all going to make funny sense? <laughs> Loosely. <laughs> a lot of movies that came off from Saturday Night Live. Oh, yeah. That uh, A lot of talent from SNL. Will Ferrell yeah. was great. A lot of the movies, though, didn't quite not Make all of them worked <laughs> to varying degrees. I was a fan of Wayne's World. I thought that was. Oh, cool. yeah. Wayne's World. Yeah. They're doing a remake. Are they doing another one? Well, not a remake. A reboot? A reboot. Oh, boy. Yes. You say yeah. a reboot. All sorts of nostalgic uh, content coming our way next year. Yeah. Between Ghostbusters and uh, we'll have the. Uh, what, what is the other one that we talked about last time with uh, Eddie Murphy coming to, a, to coming. America? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm excited about that. Oh, yeah. And speaking of box office, uh, we had some big winners and losers at the box office this week, too. Apparently surprising everyone. Downton Abbey. Yeah. Just killing it. Number one. Across at the, the pond again. Yes. They were estimated anywhere uh, or around 20 million this weekend. They did 31. It's big time. Yeah. 11 more. Yep. And uh, coming in second, uh, another offering from uh, Mr. Brad Pitt. Ad Astra. I saw that one. Came in at 19.2. What do you think? Huh, that's not bad. Do we have their projections? Uh, th- I think they were scheduled to make something around there. Ad Astra, uh, yeah, 19.2. It was projected to make 15 to 20. So it actually. Oh, so yeah. It was in the zone. Yeah. And uh, yeah, coming in, just eking right behind it, the new Rambo film made 19. Also projected in that. Oh, race. I didn't even know that Rambo came out. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the, the Last Blood. Ah, uh, 
I got to see it. Complete it. Yeah. (laughs) See it and complete it. Oh, yes. And we actually have a local talent who was also at our film market this year who was in the film, plays a supporting role. Adriana Barazza is Ah. is in the new Rambo. She's she's working a lot. Yeah? Yeah. She was out in L.A. working on the new uh, Penny Dreadful as well. Wow. Yeah. Man, she's... She is scorching it. She is. She is hot. Red hot. She has an amazing acting studio in Miami as well. The Adriana Barazza Acting Studio. And she was here at the MMFM. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. She was. Uh, we did a conversation with Adriana. It was like our version of the Inside the Actor Studio. Yeah. Which was a really, really fun session. So It was amazing. Yeah. Because she's connected to so many films, filmmakers. Oh, yes. Amoros Peros. Oh. One wow. of my favorite films, man. Oh, that was a great movie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Amore Pero was just so dynamic. Launched the career. Oof, of uh, our good friend Cuaron. Yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> so it's, You uh, could tell from that film. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, she's great. We're, we're going to have to get her on on a future episode. Yeah, for absolutely. sure. Yes, 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 so that, yes. That yes. will happen. Adriana, we'll be reaching out. <laughs> there you go. So, so, yeah, those were the three big ones at the box office this, uh, this past weekend. And uh, so we're we're just rolling along, rolling along. Yeah, I just wanted to give another shout out. But you know what? I'm going to save that for the end of this incredible interview that we have coming up with Ethan. Ooh, secret shout out. <laughs> Teaser shout out. It's a it's a it's 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 a great one. All right. And but I have to let everyone know if you love skateboarding, because Ethan was a skateboarder. Wow. Tune in to We want all of the skateboarders to listen to this podcast. Oh, yeah. And um, Ethan really is going to give you guys this skateboarded around the way of writing on this interview. So you're hmm. definitely going to want to hear this. That's an interesting way to teach writing. <laughs> you got to take it any way you can get it. That's how it is. Yeah. So um, here's our interview with Mr. Ethan Banville. Hi, my name is Ethan Banville, and I'm a writer producer from Los Angeles, and I'm here at MMFM. Let's see. So I grew up in New England. Um, went to school in Boston at Emerson College, studied, initially went in uh, as an actor on scholarship, and then realized that acting was just a bunch of people backstabbing each other and was like, okay, it's not for me. I don't have that much self-confidence. Um, and then uh, a friend of mine was had a lot of experience in television production uh, in high school. I was like, all right, I'll go hang with him. And then through that, I met um, a teacher who I needed to do an independent study. And she said, well, what do you want to do? Do you want to write? Do you want to direct? And I was like, I wrote a play in high school and kind of like love sitcoms and stuff. And uh, she said, all right, do that. She got me some um, produced uh, Married with Children scripts. And I wrote a Married with Children spec. And she What's a spec? um, So basically, you're writing it on specs. You're writing it for free. Uh, And the way it used to work in the TV business doesn't really work that way anymore is you would look at a show that you liked on television, like today. Big Bang Theory or whatever, and you'd go, here's my episode of The Big Bang Theory if I were allowed to write one. You'd send it out to showrunners who did shows that were multi-camera comedies like Big Bang Theory. They would read it and go, yeah, this person's a great writer. I want to hire them. So that was like your sample. And so I wrote that just as an exercise in college, and she really liked it. I was like, you should you should keep on with this. So I started taking creative writing courses, and then did my final semester uh, at the in the Emerson LA program in Los Angeles, um, and 
took some comedy writing classes for my last semester and actually interned at Warner Brothers Comedy Development um, back when David Genalori was the senior VP, Les Moonves was just leaving, Maria Crenna was the VP, and it was at the time where the season one of Friends was shooting, season one of ER was shooting, Drew Carey's show was about to launch, like it was a big time on the lot, so I was able to read a million scripts and then get a night script PA job on the Drew Carey show, season one, which basically meant I came in at 4.30 every day, got the dinner orders from the writing room, picked up the dinner, gave them their dinner, and then waited around till 4.30 in the morning uh, for them to finish the script, hand it to the writer assistants, then I would run 120-some copies, um, package them all up, hop in my beat-up 65 Volkswagen Beetle, and then drive all over Hollywood till 8 a.m. delivering hard copies of scripts to uh, actors and directors uh, of the sort. So that was my glorious start to to the business. <laughs> I want to talk about the Beetle. <laughs> <laughs> the, the beat up the beetle. beat up beetle. I bought that beetle in Boston. Um, I'm trying to remember. I don't know what I paid for it, like a thousand dollars or something like that. Uh, and yeah, just drove it cross country. Like drove all the way down the East Coast with a buddy of mine. And we drove all the way across the South, up through visiting a friend in Las Vegas, and then into L.A. And I drove that car for a decade in in Los Angeles until literally the rust from it being a New England car caught up with it, and it was like. Forget it. The thing was falling apart, so I just kind of donated it to some young kid who probably destroyed it. But uh, it was a good car, you know. It it was you know driving through the canyons, four, five, six in the morning, backfiring, waking people up, you know. So good old Hollywood fun. <laughs> so, I mean, but we're going to stick in that pocket for a minute, and then yeah. we'll catch up to yeah. your new car and the yeah. new you and the. Yeah. But um, I remember you telling me, you know, when you were coming up, that mm-hmm. you. Skateboarded, you. Oh yeah, yeah. I, 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 I've always skateboarded, um, and that actually led me to I'm trying to remember how it actually happened. I somehow, so Fuel TV launched. I don't know what the heck it's been, 15, 17 years ago or something like that. And initially, it was launched as like an action sports channel, so skateboarding, BMX, snowboarding, windsurfing, kite surfing, all that kind of stuff. Now it's like MMA fights and and all that kind of stuff, but. Um, they were desperate for programming because all they really had was like videos that skate and surf companies had shot that they could then show. Um, So they wanted original programming and somehow I got in contact with a producer who had done a super low budget thing called the Captain and Casey show, which is literally like a, a folding table and two guys with sports jackets like just talking about skateboarding and they would cut away to, you know, skateboarding videos, shorts and stuff like that. So uh, I ended up going in with him to fuel, uh, helped him sell uh, a couple more seasons of that show, and then we sold a, a, a pilot that I had for a show there as well. And then I ended up doing the Captain Cage show for a couple of years, which was like a crazy exposure to the skateboarding world where most skateboarders want to be paid in marijuana or cocaine or something of that sort. Like, yeah, they, they are just like, what do I need money for? Like, the, you know, the, it was insane. But it was cool because I got to meet some of my skate legend heroes and hang out with them and talk to them. Tony and, Hawk? Uh, Tony I met through What I Like About You uh, when I was a writer's assistant. Um, he was in the pilot, so he kind of did like this stunt thing, and he actually laughed at me because I showed him. I have this Tony Hawk mini from when I was probably, I don't know, 
10 years old or something, and it's ridden to hell. I mean, it's just falling apart. And he's like, hey, can you sign my board? And he looked at it, and he was like, wow. <laughs> I was like, yeah, well, you know, not from a lot of money or anything. You know, I had to use my board until it fell apart. So, but he, uh, he was very nice, and he, uh, he signed that. He signed my uh, Search for Animal Chin video, and uh, he was really cool. But no, the guys that were there were like kind of old school legends. Uh, Dave Duncan, who is... Uh, like a legendary kind of pool skater and and does all the announcing on the uh, street league tours and things of that sort with Rob Durdick. Um, Eddie Radigi is kind of a lesser known guy, but he used to skate with Alva, uh, Tony Alva's company, and um, um, Steve Olson, who is this kind of larger than life character who will often skate with a cowboy hat on. So it's a, yeah, yeah. So it was, it was a lot of fun getting to see that world. Um, but then shortly after uh, I was working on What I Like About You and I met Dan Schneider, um, who uh, you know is like the was the king of Nickelodeon shows. So all that, uh, the Amanda Show, Drake and Josh, iCarly, Victorious, uh, Henry Danger. I mean, a million shows. Like he's produced the biggest shows for Nickelodeon over the last decade. And then his deal wrapped up, and they parted ways probably about uh, a, a year ago. But you know, when I worked with him on What I Like About You, it was like a weird situation where he had a million shows going on and him and the showrunner didn't get along. So he basically just was like, all right, I'll just go do my Nickelodeon shows and collect my paycheck for co-creating the show. Um, and then I heard he had a position open um, and uh, a guy named Anthony Del Broccolo who um, just wrapped on the final season of Big Bang Theory um, was leaving to go do some other projects. Uh, he was leaving Drake and Josh. And so I said, Anthony, I said, we were like mutual friends. I was like, hey, can you help me out? Can you get me in? And sure enough, between him and my uh, friend Jake Farrow, who's still writing on uh, Henry Danger, um, they got my script to Dan. And Dan was like, hey, this is actually really good. And I was like, oh, well, give me a job. And he, uh, he and his uh, second, George Doty, uh, uh, and Jennifer Chaffin, who's now gone on to do a million movies with Paul Feig, uh, they said yes, and I got to go in and have my first job. And I worked for Dan for a bunch of years, like on, uh, like, you know, on, on Drake and Josh and, uh, and iCarly. And then through that, I ended up working on a bunch of shows with George Doty, who ran the room on Drake and Josh when I was there. When you say run the room. So showrunners have a million responsibilities. And they can't just sit in the room. And the showrunner is? The showrunner is, you know, the person who basically, as far as on the show itself, makes all the decisions. So the network, of course, has the final say. They write the checks. But ultimately, the showrunner has to have a creative vision. He has to be able to express that to the production designers, to the costumers, uh, how an actor, how he wants them to deliver a line if they're not hitting it right, uh, to the writers, uh, here's the tone and the type of comedy we want to do on the show, and you know this this story's too complicated, let's simplify it a little bit. Uh, I don't know who the story is about, let's make sure we you know define that kind of stuff. And then, of course, listen to the network notes and then get the writers to kind of implement those into the thing. And so, and then, of course, there's editing, and there's a million other responsibilities. So you can't just sit in the room all the time and do the scripts. So you have to have somebody you trust. So you find a writer. And in that case, it was my friend George Doty, who was Dan's guy. And he was in charge of just making sure we met the goals of each day, that we got the outlines done, that we wrote towards stuff that we knew Dan would like, and that we followed you know, his in, in instructions. And George and I always worked well together. And uh, he got hired by Nickelodeon to go to Toronto when I was living there to produce a show called Max and Shred, um, which was a co-production between the U.S. and Canada, um, between Nickelodeon and YTV. And so we knew each other, so it was like, yeah, come on, let's be, you know, be my guy. So I got to be the guy who ran the room 
um, for him while he was on set because he was on set a, a ton. Um, and uh, that was a, a great experience. I was lucky working with two friends of mine in the room, so we just had a good old time every day and made a lot of people laugh, and it was great. And then he ended up hiring me to write more on um, Star Falls, which was a show uh, for Nickelodeon that he created as well. So it's it's all about connections. <laughs> it's all about, that's why MMFM is is great, because you meet people in the business that you haven't met before, and then maybe you make a connection, maybe you get an idea, maybe you start working on something together, and next thing you know, you're going to, you know, take it out and, and, and pitch it somewhere. So this is great. Um, your career has been sort of this symbiosis of what you do that you love mm-hmm. both actively mm-hmm. and what you do right. in what you love writing. Right, right. So that is amazing. It's it's been you know the skateboarding stuff was fortunate, um, and then I never no I don't know if nobody does, but I never I didn't start I started you know in prime time wanting to do prime time comedies, and then through when when the comedy uh, world fell apart in the late nineties, like it went from you know four co- four half hour comedies on every network every night of the week to like four comedies one night of the week, you know, just, it was like, everybody's like, where do I work? You know, so a lot of people went to um, children's and and family and teen TV. And when I got there, um, I just found that I really liked it. And one of the reasons was uh, something that I didn't know. While I knew I loved skateboarding and was happy to work in that world, what I didn't know was kids are the best audience. Like, I worked on, when I was a writer assistant, I worked on 20 different shows, got canceled after one or two episodes. Like, the, the... Audiences are so fickle. Um, kids just want to laugh. Like they just want to break from the stress of school, or fighting with their parents or their siblings. Or their People just want to laugh. Yeah, exactly. You know, and and kids are they're loyal. You know, I mean, they have they do have a cycle because they hormones and they puberty and they grow out of it and stuff. But you know, most kid shows are three years, three seasons because. One, they lock the actors down contractually. It's like a legal contractual money thing. But two, that cycle of kids will then outgrow that type of show and then move on. Now, they could get new viewers, which some of the shows, Carly went five seasons. Henry Danger, I think, is going probably five as well. So, you know, there are some shows that continue to go. But for the most part, like Disney never goes back past season three. They just don't. That's just they don't want to pay up because after after season three is done, then the contracts get renegotiated and they have to pay. But um, it's it's been a great world to work in and to I have nieces and nephews from 18 to 6, so I have a pretty broad range of ages, and I've been able to really, you know, to be the cool uncle who, you know, writes on the show that they like to watch and stuff like that. So it's been, it's definitely been fun, and you know, and it's not, it's not a, uh, don't get me wrong, it's not a, it's not a smooth industry. It's not an easy industry, as you know. There's many ups and downs, and there's good years and there's bad years, and and you know, like we said at the beginning, it's it's a grind. You just got to keep grinding and and keep pushing, but. If it's something, if it's in a genre you like writing and, and you're seeing the reaction you get from people, you know, I mean, there were, you know, a couple of shows I was on, um, you know, we had Make-A-Wish kids come in. And it's like, these are kids who are terminally ill. And it's like, that's heavy. They, they like, this is their wish. They want to come to the set of this show that, like, gives them a break from the pain of chemo or whatever it might be. And, like, those are the things that, like, you know, truly are, are, are amazing. And you just... You get the fame and fortune stuff on the big network shows, but you don't get that kind of connection with people. I mean, maybe on a show like This Is Us or something you do like with people, but most shows, it's you don't have really have that kind of 
you know, inspiration making people's lives better, at least that I've seen. And, you know, this is this is really interesting, that, that personal uh, touch that you have on, you know, these more intimate yep. and, you know, these kind of big ticket. Yep. Episodic series is what they're called now. You know, it's it's yep. so funny the tr- the transformation of the industry yep. as a whole. Yep. You know, so now it's streaming. Now yep. it's content. Yep. Binging. Basically. Yep. Yeah. And you know this difference between you know the children's yep. world. Yep. And in the adult world because yep. you you said that in 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 this children's world it's okay three seasons you're out. Yep. The adult world, okay, let's push this, you know. We want to have five seasons, Well, it, you know? it, that's the thing. It's like you, you know, nine out of ten shows gets canceled after two or three episodes, you know. But the ones that do, the networks, it's less of a risk for them to keep doing that show and keep pushing it and milking it as long as they can than to try and get a new show that's going to be as much of a hit as, as that one is. So they usually will step up to the plate as they did with Friends in the later seasons and paid them more money as they did with Drew Carey in the later seasons and paid him more money. Um, but yeah, they're getting and Game rarer. of Thrones. Game of Thrones, yeah. I mean, but they're getting rarer uh, and rarer. And it's, but we do now have the joy of big name actors not minding doing short run series. You know, whereas it used to be I'm a film actor or I'm a TV person. Now there's like the cross between the two because it's been considered like it's cool that you could do a six episode miniseries about like Chernobyl that's on right now and you can be an Oscar award winning actor and go and do that series because you know okay I'm going to shoot over a couple of months as if it was like you know a movie or something like that and then I can go back to my life of doing movies but I get to do this really cool long movie you know kind of thing and this is great we had a Carlos Rafael Rivera mm-hmm. who won the Emmy yep. for composing for yep. Godless yeah, Godless, Godless was one of my favorite oh, that was, limited that was, series I mean Michelle Docker was great everybody was great um, in that, uh, I can't remember his name, the fellow that played the, uh, uh, the, the guy that was losing his sight, the sheriff that was losing his, uh, his sight. Um, he was great in that. And the, yes, the soundtrack that he did was, uh, was incredible. I mean, it just made such a, it just made it feel like, you know, it, it made it feel like a Western, you know, like it, it just, it was, it was amazing how much it affected the, uh, the story. And, and they had such a great cast with that, you know, people that, you were surprised to see, you know, um, the woman from Nurse Jackie that uh, ended up uh, in it, you know, which you just didn't expect her in that role because she plays that crazy character and Nurse Jackie is hilarious. And then she ends up playing this kind of like serious uh, character with, you know, who's gay with these relationships in town while they're dealing with all this kind of, you know, the baddies coming and everything like that. But it was beautifully shot and beautifully scored. And yeah, I mean, it, I, more of that, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, Scott, uh, 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 Carlos. Carlos uh, was telling me how Scott Frank, the yeah. creator writer uh-huh. of mm-hmm. Godless, originally yeah. conceived it as a feature film. Okay. And so yeah, he's a feature guy. So. He's a, he's yeah. a feature film guy, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And so when he brought it to Netflix, you know, they mold around how we're going to make this, you know, yeah. a feature film. And then they asked him, "Can we break this down into a limited series?" Right. Right. And yeah. He agreed. Yeah. And then the rest is history because you know Jeff Daniels, yeah. he was nominated for an Emmy for that. Mm-hmm. And won, and he and he won. Right. Carlos won an Emmy right. for right. it, and you know I think was nominated for about twelve Emmys. Right. For, so this right, right. this whole kind of transformation of the industry, where it's you know, film actors, yep, easily go to directors, writers, directors, yeah, I mean, writers, Things composers. Was a feature film, and then the producer, um, oh gosh, I can't think of his name, but he produces a lot of like blockbuster family type movies. But it came across his desk. 
And he was like, I think we should do something with this. And then they got the guys in and then, yeah, they work with the network and they figured out that, you know, and those guys, the Duff, Duffer brothers are obviously very talented. And I don't know if you've ever seen the lookbook for Stranger Things, but they- Of course I have. Yeah, it's beautiful. I mean, yeah. it, 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 you know, listeners, if you haven't seen it, go Google it. And, and you'll see, like, they literally found or created, like, images that were very kind of pulpy, reminiscent of, like, you know, these kind of 80s Steven Spielberg type of films. So, you know, that's definitely a, a good way to sell a movie. And if and the fact is, too, if, if the pros are doing that to package something and sell it, then, you know, you should probably put the effort in as well. Yeah, the lookbook, uh, for our listeners who don't know, uh, it's a package that you put together that is the concept and the ideas of what your show or your movie or yep. whatever it is that you're uh, looking to get out to the world, uh, that is what then you give to people that are interested in your project. Yeah, and it's and it's trying to put together the best package you can, meaning it's not just this is my idea for the story. It's this is my idea for the story. This is who the characters are. These are the stories that they inspire. This is what episodes one through 12 look like. But it's also, um, you know, these. Are, this is the locations where we could shoot, budgets, um, if you have any big talent attached to it, what they're bringing to the fold and how many, you know, followers they have on Instagram, whatever, all that kind of stuff. Anything you can do to, to make it harder for the person to say no goes in that, that, that lookbook. And I like that. Make it harder for them to say no. That's, that's, that's the name of the game. I mean, you know, when, when we sold the Netflix series, it was mostly about the fact that, A, we had a good idea, but B, um, my partner on it brings 11.8 million eyeball. Well, no, I guess if you double that, so that's 22, 30, uh, 20, 23.6 million eyeballs. <laughs> um, but 11.8 million subscribers that, you know, even if they get half, a quarter, that's still bigger ratings than most television shows. So, you know, companies like Netflix are smart and some of the other streamers are smart to know, you know, to, to leverage that type of thing. Whereas most of the networks are too obsessed with controlling everything to try and buy out these people, um, which most of them are making a good living, you know, digi- you know, in the digital space, making their own content. Why would they, why would they sell it all, you know, for for less money on a, you know, on a network? So it's it's a it's a strange line to walk. But if yeah, obviously the more you bring to the table, the better, you know, things things look. It's not always about the idea, we wish it was, because there are great ideas that need to be done, but they haven't been done. You know, anybody can go to the Blacklist, uh, which is a, uh, a website and also a thing that comes out once a year. And it's basically, sorry, it's basically the best scripts that haven't been sold. So you will be very surprised, because you will go on there, you'll see names you recognize as screenwriters. Um, you'll also read scripts that you're like, how has this not been made? But it's not just a great idea or a great script. It's also luck. It's also timing, what the market is looking for, meeting the right person, getting the right meeting. So, but you got to start somewhere. So write it, shoot it, whatever you can do to kind of, you know, show people that you have a, a your be- whatever you can show people that shows them you are not just a writer, like you are a producer, like meaning that, yes, you write it down on a piece of paper and maybe it sounds good, but the network, 
they want to know. I mean, I was talking to a couple of attendees yesterday, you know, and it's, of course, hard to get anybody to read your stuff. But thankfully, in this day and age with the Internet and everything, there's a million, you know, competitions and some of them are actually really big competitions sanctioned by, you know, um, Sundance and, and the Blacklist and things like that. So my recommendation always is to write your material. And when you feel it's ready, submit it. And, you know, you'll charge you 25 50 75 dollars or something like that but you'll get feedback even if they don't accept you you'll get feedback and then you can go and revise and what that teaches you and what will be valuable in your career is if you can hear those notes and decide which ones you want to address maybe decide that there's a couple you don't agree with and then go and do a rewrite of your property but if you just go to heck with them. They don't know what they're talking about. You're probably never going to get in a room with anybody. Um, but if you take the feedback that you get and you apply it, um, and this isn't saying that they're, everybody's right, but chances are if they're working at a big sanctioned organization like that, they're not just some Joe Schmo who decided to start a script competition um, and has a few assistants as judges. Um, you'll actually get real feedback and you'll be able to write it. And then if your stuff is that good, um, there's lots of people who have gotten agents through those type of competitions, managers through those type of competitions, or just being noticed through those type of competitions. And that's that's probably your easiest way, because the only other way to do it is like the old school way, which I did, which was you started as a production assistant, you make friends with writers, producers, directors, et cetera, you make them like you a lot, and then you say, not during the season, because they're way too busy, but at the end of the season, you just say, hey, it's been great working with you, I'm just wondering, like, I could use some advice, would you take a look at you know, my script. And then they usually, hopefully, will have a look. And some people, if they just tell you, yeah, it's great, they're lying. They just don't want to give you the bad news. But if they tell you, oh, I like this part of it, but I think you need to improve on this part, and you know, da, 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 listen to what they have to say, go back, rewrite your script, and then go back to them again and say, hey, I, I took your notes, I rewrote blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, could you ask your agent if he's, if he's reading anybody or if maybe his uh, junior agents are reading somebody? And that's kind of how you you can get yourself towards them. So it, it's a lot of hard work and thankless jobs and working for free and all that kind of stuff. It's not just walking up to like, you know, it's not just walking up to somebody on the street that you recognize as a famous producer or director. It's not like walking up to Michael Bay and going, hey, I've got this great idea for another Transformers movie. Will you read it? That's not going to that's not going to happen. But, you know, the hope is that you find people that will like you for working your butt off. Like, you know, there's a few interns that have been working at the MMFM um, uh, this past week, which that's another thing. Volunteer at film festivals and, and TV festivals in your area. You will meet people who know people. And if you kick butt, then everybody's going to be talking about you because you will be very surprised at how thankful people in the industry are for competent people that take some of the work off their plate. Like yesterday, um, a young man named Tony was basically just telling me where I need to be. And that was awesome because I didn't have to keep opening my phone and getting distracted and looking at what time I had to be there and when, and if I went somewhere, like I wouldn't know where I was going, but no, he just kept sliding up next to me, go over there, okay? So go over there. And that's super, super valuable. And and if you and you, it's, it's so rare to see at someone who's just starting out um, that it really you'll really really stand out and you'll you'll tend up to move you know pretty fast 
And, you know, that's great advice because I think um, oftentimes people think that there's one way. And then they look at, you know, yeah. well, I saw this person and he did it yeah. this way. Yeah. I saw this person yeah. and he said it, they did it this way. Yeah. And really there's so many different ways well, to... Well, now, I mean, you know, it's like you can buy a... You can all have all the equipment you need to shoot a film on your iPhone. You know, you there's a Adobe Light or whatever to edit it on your... You know, if you actually want to make it look good, then you step up to getting a better camera, 4K or, you know, 5, 6... I mean, it's all going up now. I mean, you spend $5,000, you get a top-of-the-line computer to edit on with Adobe After Effects and all that kind of stuff and Final Cut Pro, um, which you can learn by taking their courses for whatever, or you can buy the book for $50 that leads you through it. So there's kind of no excuse for not producing your own Or Adobe Premiere. Yeah, Adobe Premiere. I mean, iMovie or any of the the PC programs that come with PCs, like everybody has cheap, free programs that come with your computer. And even if it doesn't look the best because you can't afford to find, or you don't know a good director of photography, you don't know how to do color correction, whatever, teach yourself or just make sure that, you know, it looks as good as it can and then just also go, it's an exercise. This is the first one I'm doing. You learn, you know, I've been doing it for years. I've watched a million directors, but when I shot a couple of comedy sketches recently, like I shot it and then started editing and went, nope, got to go back and shoot again because I should have had this shot and I had made up a shot list, but you just, you, you, it's all about, you know, the, the 10,000 hours thing like Malcolm Gladwell talks about. It's like you got to do it, repeat, do it, repeat, do it, repeat. And you will, if you're a writer, you'll write a million scripts before you write that one that gets you the job. You know, if you're a director, you'll direct a million things before, you know, and directing is like a whole other level too because you have to, you have to be able to communicate with actors what you want them to do in front of the camera. You have to communicate to the DP what types of shot you want and the look you want. So it's, it's, it's more than just being technical. It's, again, it's getting to know people, working with people, getting people to like you, and then it's practicing the art form, showing people you can do it. Um, and today, in today's day and age with YouTube, Vimeo, all that stuff, like there is no excuse for not making it other than that you're scared. Everybody's scared when they start out. I mean, that's like, you know, uh, it, it is to pick up a camera. And for most of us who go into this business, it's also like, why would anyone want to watch what I make? You know, there's a lot of self-doubt and this is an industry that kicks in the teeth every five minutes. So it's hard, but ultimately, you know, if I learned anything from my young partner, it's you just do it because you want to do it. You don't do it because it's going to make you a million dollars. You don't do it because it's going to get you a job or whatever. It may very well, but you do it because you enjoy doing it. And even if you get that one person who's like, oh, that made me laugh. or Oh, my God, that made me cry or whatever. You've done your job and that inspires you to do another one. So it, it really is just do it for yourself and do it because you love. Everybody's talked about it on all the different panels, having the passion for the project and what you're doing, and that will get you a, a long way. Granted, you know, you still have to learn the process of the writing and the directing and the producing, but when your passion is in it, people will want to work with you on it to help you realize your, your vision of it. Yeah, and that repetition of things, mm-hmm. that repetition of things, you know, yeah. you do the first thing. Mm-hmm get that out of the way. Yep. Then you do the second one and over yep. and over. And writing is a process that, you know, you can do yourself. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, it's, it's not... you have to strap yourself to a chair and force yourself to write, which is not easy. Uh, many days it's, you know, being distracted because the last thing your body wants to do is sit down and, and write because it's, it's, it's hard work. It's not physical labor, but it's mental labor. And you just have to find 
what works best for you. Some people can only write in a coffee shop. Uh, sure, okay. Uh, some people can only write with certain types of music on. You know, I mean, it's, it is a, a, a thing. Some people like me, I came up being trained to break stories on a whiteboard. There's one in, in the room that we're in. I had to buy a whiteboard and put it up on my wall because my brain just, I can't sit at a computer. I can, I can, but it happens much faster if I have a dry erase marker in my hand and I get up at a board and then I can just break it out really, really quick. It just flows. And, you know, it's finding those things that work for you and help you and also inspire you. Um, um, there's a great book, I think it's called like The Writer's Way or something like that, but if you're ever finding yourself with writer's block, pick up that book and and what she kind of found with talking to therapists and things of that sort, and she's a writer herself and she was married to Scorsese um, way back in the day, is you know just have a journal, get up in the morning, just write for 30 minutes straight anything that comes to your mind, and her theory on that of course being that you get all the stuff that personal, emotional stuff that's blocking you from actually being creative. Out, go to museums, look at paintings, go to concerts, listen to music, go to the movies, see movies, do creative things that, you know, inspire. And, uh, you know, that is usually enough to kind of get you going. For me, it's it's every Saturday I don't do anything. I don't write, I build something. So whether it's, you know, um, adjusting the valves on my car or it's building a door frame for the uh, screening in a porch. Your car now is? Uh, it's a, a, a 66 Volkswagen Beetle. <laughs> 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 this this one has no rust. Yeah. <laughs> right, yes. you're on the Beetle cycle, yes, you know, forever well, you're gonna I have had, My first car was a 71 Volkswagen Super Beetle. My second car was a 65 Super, uh, sorry, 65 Beetle. Third car, 66 Beetle that we did a full body off restoration on. Um, so it, um, uh, uh, that tends to be my thing. Yes, it's not, it's not my daily driver at this point, but it's, uh, it's there. And, and of course, old cars need love. New cars, you don't have to do anything to them. But yes, having small projects, especially when you're coming up and you're feeling all frustrated and stuff like that, having a small project that you finish and feel a sense of pride in, even if it's just... I don't know, you know, uh, cleaning the floor, cleaning the carpets, whatever it is, like just to see some type of progress really helps you go back refreshed to your writing or your editing or your directing because you've given yourself a break. The whole work it till you're dead, no, you're just gonna, you're gonna end up making bad moves and bad decisions. So you might as well find some things that actually give you some little pleasures. Um, any parting advice? Um, just, I don't know, like one thing I would say, you know, from talking with a lot of people here, um, stop asking questions and just start doing. Like there's, you don't, there's an endless amount of information out, out there to help you. There's a million online classes. I, I, I teach online classes, I do consults. Uh, Karen Hall, who's here, teaches online classes, does consults. There's a lot of great people. The biggest advice I would say is, don't take classes from someone who's never actually worked in the industry. There's a lot of teachers, and they may be fine teachers, who are just academics, um, but there's a whole second part of it. They can teach you structure, they can, they can teach you to watch certain films and read certain scripts and, and mimic towards that, but there's such a second part of it that only people who've worked in the industry can know and can express, uh, and the certain things that executives look for and certain things that you have to hit when you're you know, pitching and stuff like that. So. Find those people, find those websites that share that information, dig into it. And then the other thing too is never, find ways to process notes in a positive way. Don't flip out and go, they're all wrong, I hate myself. We all do that. However, 
you have to be open to listening and you have to be open to growing. And I've talked to a couple of people here who I can tell have grown from when I first met them, which is nice. So it, it really is just about listening. And if you think you know everything and if you think you're going to change Hollywood, watch the documentary overnight um, about the guy who uh, created the, and wrote Boondock Saints. Uh, it is a strong lesson in that you don't. Uh, and even if you think you do, you're not going to change Hollywood. It is a machine. Um, and while it is about developing your talent, it's also about being able to work within the machine. Uh, and that's a big lesson in what not to do. So, yes. Yeah, so keep at it. Keep writing. Um, you know, if you've got a great idea, sit down and write it or pick up your iPhone and shoot it because that's all it takes. And it may look like crap, but you learn from it. Move on to the next. Wow. That's a great cap <laughs> for a great, great interview. Cool. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much. <laughs> you all have it right there. And we're back. Yeah. So I did have a big announcement, something that I really loved at the Emmys. But we did have a special guest that came into the studio. Now, I wasn't here, so I'm going to give our other host, Mr. J.L. Martinez, Yes, the mic. and I will uh, introduce the gentleman, Joe Garcia, who is, a, as we mentioned, an, an advisory board member of the MMFM and also a, a screenwriter in his own right, who has a, had a longtime collaboration with several of the writers we have on, including Karen Hall, as well as Ethan Banville. So we will now have Joe's perspective on the relationship of writing between the writers. All right, we're here, Screen Heat Miami. This is a special little, uh, I don't want to call it an addendum. It's a, uh, we have a special guest with us here who has worked with Ethan Banville. He is a talented local writer here in the Miami community. He's also a prominent advisory board member of the Miami media and film market, the one and only Mr. Joe Garcia. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Oh, of course. So you're a writer. Yes, <laughs> I've been accused of that. <laughs> yes, we all we all have at one point, but there's some that that really do it. Yeah, that's that's exactly the the hard part is actually doing it, not just saying you're going to do it. Yes, and and you're also known as being like the Kevin Bacon of writers. You're like <laughs> six degrees from every writer in L.A., particularly our friend Ethan Banville, uh, which you did help to to bring to the Miami Media and Film Market this year, and he's been coming for the past few years. So, tell us a little bit about uh, your relationship with Ian, how you guys met, and and how that kind of evolved from there. Okay. Uh, Ethan and I met, I want to say, at MMFM 2017. Uh, he had been working on a project with Karen Hall also, who is also one of my other uh, longtime uh, writing collaborators and partners. And he and I just hit it off immediately. We had a, a similar writing style, a similar trajectory. And uh, he's one of those guys who has what I call the Batan Death March gene, which is we have to achieve this particular thing. We will do what we need to do. We're not going to argue about it. We're just going to sit down and buckle down and bear down and do it, um, which I appreciated immensely. I think that's a really good quality to have in a writer and a writing partner. Um, and we you know, connected, started bouncing ideas off each other. And... Uh, he was always very intrigued by the Cuban experience. Um, he's originally from Massachusetts. He's gone out to L.A. So Cubans don't feature prominently in his past. And, and at Miami Medium Film Market, he ran into you know, a bunch of us. He was very fascinated by that. He knew some of them in L.A. They wanted to get more detail, more color, more backstory. And he thought that that entire diaspora experience was very fascinating. And it was something really alien to him. 
And in the course of that, we came up with a couple of projects uh, that that sprung from that, that we've been in the process of polishing up and getting ready. And um, we pitched it in a couple of places, got some notes and, you know, ready to repitch it again. Uh, you know, having to do with, you know, what do you do when you come from that particular environment of Cuba into the United States? And his particular forte as a writer is he's a guy who's really fanatical about what are the characters like and where do the conflicts between the characters come from? And whereas there are other writers, um, you know, for example, Karen. Karen is somebody who is much more about plot and what happens. Right. And then, I'm sorry, this is a different podcast. When you say Karen, you're referring to... Karen Hall. Right, who was in episode four of Screen Heat Miami. So you can always go back to that and then come back to this. Yes, so. we'll wait. <laughs> yeah, we'll um, definitely wait. You know, Karen is much more plot-driven. You know, and Karen arrives at characters from plot. Ethan arrives at plot from character. And what I can do is, I think my little superpower is that I can fill the gaps that the other writer needs. I, I'm not by any means the best at any one thing, but I'm a pretty good decathlete as a writer. So Ethan appreciated that and is a kind of guy that knows when he needs to hand off something to me that I'll get it done for him. Right. Well, that's great. I mean, it's a great sort of collaboration and teamwork. And in terms of, you know, writing as a team, you, you think of writing as sort of this lonely person's process. But when you are collaborating, what, what is the dynamic in terms of writing as a team? You know, we talk about rooms, we talk about television writing. How does that work for you? In the case of Ethan, it's really interesting because one of us will give the other one absolute freedom to do whatever needs to be done. You know, I'm not going to give you any guidance, Ethan. You do your thing. And he will write up whatever. And he'll send it to me, again, with the same confidence of, okay, you fix it however you think it needs to be fixed. Um, one of the rules that we have is if we have a disagreement, and eventually people will have a disagreement, um, if one person cannot convince the other in 30 seconds that that original point was right, we just drop it. Hmm. Because if we who are writing it don't get it right away, the audience is not going to get it. And this is a, really a point about serving the audience via the mechanism of the characters and the plot and the scenery and everything that we have in mind. Hmm. So he's very he's very open to being aggressively collaborative in that regard, which is really interesting. Not a lot of writers are. A lot of writers are, I'm doing this thing and you're helping me do my thing. Right. Ethan is, is much more, okay, we're doing this thing together. And it's very much a, a back and forth. Uh, the way that I describe it is um, when Ethan and I are riding together, it's like climbing stairs with two legs instead of one. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Wow. I, uh, I, I like the analogy. Oh, and, uh, yeah, no, again, I appreciate you coming in and just kind of sharing your knowledge and obviously all these other talented writers you know. Make sure that they stop on by Screen Heat Miami. Uh, you can see Joe Garcia at Futures uh, Miami Media and Film Markets or making his, uh, what, bi-monthly trip to Los Angeles. That's right. Yeah, just uh, playing that game out there. <laughs> we talked a lot with Ethan about this whole idea of, uh, you know, there's a difference between writing or teaching writing academically and being in the industry, which is a separate thing. The idea of being in L.A., being in that process. So you've got your foot in both worlds. You have to, to be honest. If you, if you don't, then, you know, if you don't have a foot in the world that you know and are writing about and a foot in the world that's the industry and getting a being able to read the room in a certain sense, then you're completely lost. You're just paddling without really, you know, you're confusing motion with progress. There you go. Well, definitely a lot of progress being made here. Thanks again, Joe. Thanks for everything. That was fun. Yeah. Yeah, just a good little tidbit. Great little mini doc. Yes. There you go. <laughs> Bonus feature in the feature. There you go. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, yeah, speaking of writers, uh, I wanted to touch on this as well. Uh, the writers, we've been talking a lot about the Writers Guild and this big drama between the agencies and the writers. 
And we were teasing that there were elections coming up. The elections. The elections happened. The winner is... And the mandate stays with the current leadership. Stayed solidly in place. Solidly. Wow. David Goodman re-elected as president of the Writers Guild West. And he was very much on the side of, we're not going to go back to the table. Not hiring the agents. No. So the the standstill remains. Uh, again, I don't see the agencies jumping. I think they're they're going to try to wait it out a little longer, and see what happens. But uh, yeah, interesting that the the mandate that this sort of what we were they were calling an unofficial referendum on how leadership had been handling the negotiations, basically won. So they're standing wow. strong. Yeah, and we didn't plan this to have a writer right when they make the announcement, or did we? <laughs> yeah maybe uh you know latently in our unconscious mind you, you know our auteur brain working subconsciously <laughs> making a good story within the story story within the story we're like in, we're the podcast of inception that's what we <laughs> inception ourselves we inceptioned ourselves so so yeah that's going to be interesting to see how how this is all going to shake out you know heading into the fall and winter and then you know, are the agents still going to find other ways to package material at some point? You know, how how much longer are the writers going to kind of go their route? Are they going to find alternative methods of finding employment? How is that all going to shake out? Well, they're going to have to find alternative methods. I mean, yeah. got to work. <laughs> yeah, the strike. It's not to keep saying strike. But um, yeah, that that the situation has been going on for what, like six months? Seven at least months? since, yeah, the spring. So, yeah, it's definitely getting to a point where. Uh, I think, you know, obviously, I think the age, the big agencies were hoping that there would be a, a change in leadership, which would allow them to go back to the table and, and maybe work something out. At the same time, the writers really feel like this is the way to go. So, wow, they're going. Well, I hope negotiations gets opened up. Oh, yes, I'm sure they will. And uh, let's see, I had some other little fun stuff on, on writers, actually. I had. Uh, well, while you're looking that up, my big announcement and it's not a big announcement. It's an announcement from the Emmys, but it was a first. Billy oh, yeah. Porter. Billy Porter from Pose. First openly gay black male to win an Emmy. Wow. And he deserved it. He deserved it. I mean, I've I've been following his career. For me, you know, even his turn on American Horror Story. Hmm. I mean, he, everything that I've seen him in. He really commands, you know, his presence is just all there and pose and his outfit for the Emmys, which deserved an Emmy in itself. Sure. <laughs> Some Lady Gaga stuff going on. <laughs> you know, um, I just have to say, you know, for me, he's definitely one of my top actors right wow. now, you know, so that was well deserved. And, you know, I'm always loving firsts. Sure. So, you know, congratulations uh, there, uh, Mr. Billy Porter. Wow. Yes. Good for Billy. Hopefully I work with him one day. Yeah. No, definitely. I think I'm sure you will, Kevin. You will find your way. I will find my way. Yes, because he is killing it. Maybe he's listening to the podcast right now. Well, I hope so. He's looking up Kajik Multimedia. How do I get a hold of this Kevin? <laughs> well, I'm going to send it out to him, man. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. And Killing It, another one of my favorite shows, Killing Eve, ah. which is well-deserved. Jody Cummer. Hmm. She well-deserved Emmy. For Killing Eve. All righty. I'm going to have to tell you to put that on your list, too. 
I'm going to have to put a lot of stuff. My list is getting long. The way he's streaming, every two weeks there's a new show. I barely catch up. It's hard. Can it's a barely, marathon. can barely watch the, the Between Two Therns movie before. <laughs> like, can't even watch Between Two Ferns before 20 other shows pop up. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's tough. It's and, tough. And the big boy, I mean, some of the Disney Plus hasn't even launched yet. Imagine all the stuff you got to watch on there. Original content. That is going to be Apple. something. Apple. Jeez. I just got the new iPhone. Oh, gosh. So you got the free subscription? How'd that work? I have not explored that yet. Huh. I was happy to get the phone. Yeah, I'm sure. Because I didn't pre-order. I went the day of. Wow. Yes. Yes. But the reason why is because, you know, I'm taking a trip. Um, You know, I'm in Atlanta next week. Hmm. And then actually next week, that's wrong. I'm in Atlanta tomorrow. Wow. See, I'm. It's so much traveling. And then I'm going to Europe. Okay. So, you know, you just don't want to take the camera everywhere, but you want something that, you know, right. really can do the job. And so I did some tests and, hmm. you know, it really does do the job. I mean, it's amazing. Really? Yeah. 4K at 60 frames a second. Huh. And, you know, those three lenses, they really do work well. Yeah. Yeah. So it's macro. It's a regular lens and it's a wide. Wow. Yeah. So that's more why I need to have it right now. Because since I'm going to Atlanta and then I'm only back for like a day or so and then I head off, you know, there really wasn't time to figure out, you know, how to get the phone. Sure. Yeah. So huh. there was no time to figure out how I get that, you know, Apple TV either there you or go. not Apple TV, but it's uh, their subscription service. Right. Which is um, I can't remember the name of it. But yeah. So but I am looking forward to that Jason Momoa. Apple Plus. Apple Plus. That's, that's right. The, that's the one. Yeah. So, yeah, no, that's that's very interesting. By the way, we are still looking for sponsors, so Apple, I think Kevin once again did a fantastic job of promos- promoting your new product. There you go. And Jason Momoa, big shout out. Oh, yeah. Shout out to Jason. You're going to have to hook him soon, too. It'd be lovely. Love to talk to that guy. We'll see. Cool. We'll see. All right. A lot of interesting stuff going on, and uh, but I think, you know, we've had a good week. Should we tease next week? Um, I think that we should wait on teasing next week. We're not going to tease next week. <laughs> but in the meantime, you can always go back and see episodes or listen to episodes one through eight. Yeah. And you definitely want to listen to a lot of the episodes where we talked about a lot of the shows that went on to win Emmys. That's right. Yes. there's We a talked about them and also our guests because, you know, some of our guests worked on some of those shows. Yes. We, we have a nose for good quality content. So. There you go. <laughs> we know how to get to the heat. You know what we should do at some point on the website? All the shows that we've talked about, maybe just put a list on where you can like stream them. That's great. Like a top 10 screen heat Miami. Wow. That is it. The top 10 hottest shows from screen heat Miami. <laughs> That's right. Oh. Present and future. Love it. All right. So it's going to be a great one next week as well. Thank you again, everyone, for joining us here at Screen Heat Miami. I'm Kevin Sharpley. I'm JL Martinez. And we are going to see you next week. See you there.